The scripture this morning is from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 23 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus replied, The hour for, has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Well, now my soul is troubled. Now what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, great to be here with you this morning. Thank you for the uh, many expressions of kindness. It would be easy to get a swelled head seeing all those stickers out there, to say the least. <laughs> But God has a way of keeping you humble, you know. It was pointed out to me, uh, uh, I actually got some applause last Sunday during the first hour, uh, Tim announced, you know, about this service and all. But it was pointed out to me by somebody later, somebody who I'm sure loves me a lot, that, you know, everyone clapped when uh, Tim announced that this was going to be my last time preaching here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, God just helps you keep it all in perspective, doesn't he? Uh, There'll be time, I think, for more stuff later about all this. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, but uh, you probably notice we're interrupting our uh, summer sermon series on Psalms today. Yeah, I got through that. Uh, all right. Um, I was given the dangerous freedom of, of being able to pick whatever passage I wanted to uh, to preach this morning. And given that there are 31,102 verses in the Bible, that's a scary task. <laughs> um, but uh, as you notice, we're here in John chapter 12 uh, today and uh, looking at verse 24. Uh, we've read uh, a little more than that uh, for context, but we're going to be zeroing in really on verse 24, which presents us with what I like to think of as the great gospel paradox. Now, what's a paradox, you might ask? Well, uh, Lightning McQueen is going to help us with that, actually. Uh, Lightning McQueen, of course, is a race car in the movie cars and all of that. And uh, he was uh, very adept, of course, at racing, and particularly, though, on uh, paved tracks with asphalt and all that. But when he was in Radiator Springs, he had to deal with a dirt track. And so he was uh, uh, trying to race on dirt track, which is a whole different thing, and he kept wrecking. Well, he got some advice. Doc gave him some advice, and he said, if you want to, uh, uh, you, you got to turn right to go to the left, of which Lightning McQueen thoughtfully responded, turn right to go left. Sure, right, maybe in opposite world. <laughs> turn right to go left. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense, right? Well, maybe the Bible presents us with opposite world in a whole lot of ways, because the Bible is full of these paradoxes, things that seem to be opposite, opposite world. For instance, those who exalt themselves shall be humbled, and those who humble themselves shall be exalted. The one who is greatest is the one who is the servant of all. And then today's passage again, John 12, 24, unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
Now, when Jesus speaks of the kernel dying, of course, what he means is it's being planted. In other words, it dies in the sense that it gets buried in the ground. Uh, That's what happens when you plant a seed. But when it dies, it comes to life, right? It's only when it goes in the ground and is buried, dies in that sense that it germinates and starts to push up towards the surface of the ground and then becomes the plant that it really is and then produces many, many more seeds. That's the paradox. When it dies, it comes to life. And what Jesus is saying to us today in this passage is what's true botanically is also true spiritually, the great gospel paradox, as I'm calling it. Now, the world's philosophy couldn't be any more different. The world's philosophy that's pressing in on us all the time is follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Live for yourself. And today's focus on self is unlike anything ever seen really in human history. Now, pastors say that kind of stuff all the time, but this is really true. Uh, All sorts of philosophers and social scientists are saying that. And now we have so much time and money on our hands that we're even inventing new identities and the pronouns to go with them in the the hopes of somehow, some way, finding faith, hope, and love in this lonely, scary, frightening world. But Jesus' point is that if you only focus on yourself, yourself is all there is. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, but if it dies, and that's really what we're going to be looking at today, if it dies. So we have three points. This is a good Presbyterian sermon. Life is a single seed, Jesus' invitation to die, and the producing of many seeds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you tell us in the Psalms that we're not looking at today, but you tell us in the Psalms that your word is more precious than gold, that it's sweeter than honey. And then in keeping it, there is much reward. So as we consider this one small part of your word today, would you make that true for each of us today? Uh, And whatever each of us needs to hear from this, Lord, the word that you spoke so long ago, would you do that by the power of your spirit that dwells within us and who also inspired this by the Apostle John for so long ago? And yet you can work it in us right now. We pray that you would do that in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to start off looking at what it means to live life as this single seed that Jesus is talking about here. So what does that mean? In his wonderful book, Humilitas, John Dixon talks about a leader that is all about self and what that is like. And basically he says that a leader that is all about self is no leader at all. Basically leaders who who are all about themselves will soon be all by themselves. Because if a leader is all about themselves, yes, people might hang around collecting paychecks, but they're not going to be all in. Because they will figure out eventually that it's not about a cause or a goal or a vision of some sort. It's all about the leader who is all self-absorbed and is only seeking their own power, status, or money, and nothing else. That's, that leader remains only a single seed. But the same is true for all human relationships, really. Whether a friend or family member, a mate, roommate, or teammate, if the radio must always be on the station you want, if you always have to go to the restaurant you want to go to, if the conversation always has to be about you, oh no, enough about me, let's talk about you. What do you think about me? That kind of thing. (laughs) People eventually figure that out. They soon realize that they don't really matter to you at all other than how you can amuse them 
or inflate their ego, ego or whatever else. And that's how divorce and estranged families and sometimes even abortions happen. And if you or me, if we are in that self, self-absorption state, we remain only a single seed. And saddest of all, this is especially true in our relationship with God. God created us in his image. And as we'll see in a few weeks when we get back to the Psalms and are covering Psalm 8, he made us, as the Psalm 8 says, a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honor, making us the rulers over the works of his hands. But as Romans 1 points out, even though we knew God, we did not choose to glorify or thank him as God. We have each turned our own way, putting ourselves above God in everything and everybody else. Today's headlines clearly show the results of life as a single seed, all of us trying to do that. The destructive results of it in this life and in the next everlasting destruction and being shut out from the presence of the Lord. Truly a single solitary seed. So the question for each of us is, where are you, where am I living as a single seed? Have you already shut the Lord out from your presence? Or is there some area in your life, if you're a Christian, is there still nevertheless some area in your life where it's really all about you still? Or in your job or in your marriage or some other relationship, maybe even your service in the church, is it all about you really and what you can get out of it? If so, aren't you tired of living that way? It's an isolating death trap Anytime we're living as a single seed. And that's our chief problem. But Jesus gives us the remedy to this, life as a single seed. It uh, is an invitation from Jesus to die. (laughs) As the passage says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, this isolated, self-absorbed person. But if it dies... But if it dies, an invitation to die. Now, that sounds like the the cure is worse than the disease, doesn't it? Well, it seems that way. But of course, Jesus isn't calling us to die physically, obviously that. But neither is he calling us to any kind of self-obliteration or any sort of living as a doormat or submitting to abusers or anything crazy like that. He's not talking about anything unhealthy. He's talking about the most healthy thing of all. He invites us, what he invites us to die to is that life as a single seed, that self-absorbed life, that self-destructive life we've just talked about. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter's talking about Jesus, and he says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Now, we know that's all about uh, getting forgiveness, but he goes on, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, of course. But he also died that we might die to sins and live for him. To die, if you will, to the life, if you can call it that, of being a single seed. But that's what saving faith is. It's saying to God, Lord, I confess that I have sinned, that I've lived a life apart from you. I've been ignoring you and going the other direction. But I'm tired of that. And I turn to you now in faith, Lord Jesus, because of what you did on the cross, to forgive me of my sins and to give me a new life, one of following you and living for your glory rather than my own. Now, the the crazy thing is, is when you do that, when you put your faith in Christ, uh, one of the things that's true of you is you're a new creation. It's as though you've come to life from the dead. 
And, the, and in fact, that's exactly what happens. In fact, that precedes faith, really. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, though, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And think about it. That fits right into the seed illustration that Jesus is talking about here. When the seed dies and then comes to life, what really happens? It doesn't just become a larger and larger seed, right? It grows, but not by becoming a seed. It becomes what it really is. It becomes what it really is, something else entirely. The kernel of wheat that Jesus talks about doesn't just become a bigger and bigger wheat seed. It becomes the wheat stalk. An apple seed, when it is planted, doesn't just become a bigger apple seed. It becomes an apple tree. An acorn becomes an oak tree. And it's the same with us. Once we are in Christ, we have gone from being people who are single seed people to people who produce many seeds. From being all about self, building our own kingdoms, living my truth that we hear about a lot today, to being all about glorifying and enjoying Jesus Christ, the lover of our souls, the one who has taken out the stony heart and has given us a heart of flesh and enables us to respond to him in faith and to live for his glory. In other words, there's no need to worry about your identity. There it is. No need to make up any new ones. So the other question then is, well, just how does this lead to more life, to producing more seeds? Let's consider that. And that's simply the next part uh, of the verse, the last part, unless the kernel of wheat dies uh, or falls to the ground and dies, it remains only that single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. If it dies, it produces more life. That's the paradox, again, we've been talking about. So how does that happen? Let me give you a couple of illustrations, I think, that demonstrate what we're talking about. If you will, a long time ago, in a nation far, far away, <laughs> thank you for catching that and doing what you said you would do. Um, <laughs> a long time ago, in a nation far, far away, there was a young orphan girl named Esther who went from being a nobody, a poor orphan, as I said, to being queen of Persia. But when a number of evil men convinced the king to issue an edict that all Jews should be annihilated, she likely figured she was safe in the palace. She's the queen after all, right? Even though she's Jewish. But her uncle and guardian, Mordecai, you know this whole story, challenged her to plead for her people's lives to the king. But she reminded him that, well, you know, just to walk into the king's presence risks death. And so Mordecai replied with those famous words, who knows but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. But if it dies, but if it dies, Esther had a choice to remain a single seed or fall to the ground and die in the hopes of producing many seeds. That is, saving the lives of the whole nation of Israel. And even more than that, preserving the line of the nation of Israel from whom the Messiah was supposed to come, who would bless all nations. So there was a whole lot riding on this, which of course she did, and you can read about it in the book of Esther. An even longer time ago, in another nation far, far away, there was a young man named Joseph who went from being a somebody, uh, the favorite son of uh, his father wearing that coat of many colors and all the rest, to a slave in Egypt. And while a slave, his master's wife took notice of him, you know, and said, come to bed with me. But if it dies, but if it dies, you see, Joseph had a choice. Remain a single seed 
or fall to the ground and die in hopes of producing many seeds. That is, that is what? What seeds could be produced by him saying no to this? And that's just where our single seed society that we live in would come in and say, forget the great gospel paradox. What are you talking about? Go for it. What's the harm? We have two consenting adults here. Why deny himself when she's given the grand invitation? Why indeed? One reason why is illustrated in a novel I read some time ago about a young Anglican priest who had just committed adultery with a lady friend of his who was not a follower of Christ. Almost immediately after, though, he's stricken with terrible remorse for what he's done. Now, she tries to tell him it's okay. It's all right. You know, this is just a part of life and all the rest. But he won't hear it because he knows better. And to his credit, he confessed not only that what he did was wrong, but why it was wrong. This is what he said. I ignored the care of your soul to exploit you for my own selfish purposes. That's acting without love and compassion. The psychoanalyst helped you, but the Christian priest rejected you. What a travesty. What a debasement of how things ought to be. So you see, in Joseph's case, refusing to go there, refusing to indulge himself, to take advantage of another person, if nothing else, produced the seeds in Potiphar's wife, letting her know what God was like. Letting her know that he was a God who honors all who are created in his image and who therefore aren't to be taken advantage of even if you give the invitation for it, even if you ask for it. And that God is worthy to be obeyed in every circumstance. And of course, obeying God is always, always glorifying to him as the demon screw tape, yes, the C.S. Lewis quote, but as the demon screw tape said, now this is a demon talking in, in C.S. Lewis's great book, The Screw Tape Letters. Our cause is never more in danger, the demonic cause, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken and still obeys. And that's Joseph's story. He was a slave in Egypt, and yet he still obeyed God. And you should know that Joseph's obedience produced many more seeds than just that. Um, he didn't know it at the time, though, and you know, we often don't know at the time, and that's the challenge. But you can read all about it in Genesis chapters 37 to 50. So brothers and sisters, whether we realize it or not, we are given opportunities to die to ourselves every day in so many ways, uh, from simple things like leaving that last slice of pizza for someone else to enjoy, to hold the door open for someone behind you, even if they're wearing a t-shirt that says something you disagree with, to forgive someone who's falsely accused you, to pray for your enemy, to apologize even though you felt justified in what you did. The great thing to know is that whenever we die to self, there's a guaranteed return on investment. I know some of you are in investing or you're uh, very much business-oriented people. You're always asking, uh, what's the ROI? What's the return on investment? There's a guaranteed return on investment every time we die to self. This is what John Calvin had to say about this amazing verse. When therefore the godly are distressed by various afflictions, when they are pressed hard by the difficulties of their situation, when they suffer hunger or nakedness or disease, when they are assailed by reproaches, when it appears as if, 
uh, it would be as if every hour would be almost, they would almost be overwhelmed by death. Sorry. Let them unceasingly consider that this is a sowing. A sowing which in due time will yield fruit. That's God's promise here. That's what the Lord Jesus said in this verse. That means that no matter how overwhelming your personal circumstances or the state of the world around us, no matter how much it seems that evil is going to win the day, remember this verse and let it help you put things in perspective. It reminds me of a moment from, yes, now the Lord of the Rings. But I'm not just making this stuff up. It really fits. It reminds me of a moment from the Lord of the Rings. The hobbits, Frodo and Sam had gone so far, but they're just about spent. They're almost at the end of the journey. They've come so far, but things still seem hopeless in their cause of trying to defeat the evil Sauron. They're about to go to sleep on the ground once again when in their despair, Tolkien writes this. Sam, the hobbit, saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Now for a moment his own fate, and even his masters, seemed to trouble, ceased to trouble him. Putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. Believe it or not, folks, everything, everything in this world is a small and passing thing, even and especially those things that seem so large and important now. For when the internet and cell phones have gone the way of the eight-track cassette, <laughs> when the Democratic and the Republican parties are only read about in history books, the Church of Jesus Christ will still be there. Loving God with all its heart, soul, mind, and strength, and its neighbor as itself, declaring the praises of God, and showing the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. For while we can read about the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, and we can read about the rise and fall of the Third Reich, you will never read about the rise and fall of the kingdom of Christ. For as Jesus said, he will build his church, and even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So be confident in the Lord. Be confident in what, is he, what he is doing, what he is doing through the church, because what he's doing through the church is what's really happening in this world. Now, one last thing for the ultimate, but if it dies. For as much as Jesus intends this for us in our instruction, he's really telling us about himself. Jesus is the seed. For only a few days after saying this, he would be hanging on a Roman cross for us. And as he said in John chapter 10, verse 18, no one took his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate seed who fell to earth all the way from heaven and died. In fact, he fell all the way down to suffer hell for us, the hell we deserve on the cross. And then on the third day, he came to life and sort of rose up from the ground. See the seed illustration being proven true in him, in his resurrection body, rose out of the ground, and in doing so, literally produced billions of seeds, a few hundred of which are here this morning. 
So Jesus is our example, but far more than that. Using another botanical idea, he said this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. In other words, it's his amazing love that motivates us and his resurrection power that enables us to bear fruit in this world and to follow his footsteps. Once I was given a framed poster that said, anyone can count the number of seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. How about you? How about me? How about Stonebridge Church? How many apples do you suppose there are in us? Only time will tell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you so much for loving us enough to send your Son. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us enough to be willing to be that seed that came down and fell all the way from heaven to earth and even from earth to hell on the cross for us. And Lord, we can see that what you said 2,000 years ago is borne out to be true. There are billions of people over the ages, a billion at least even now, who profess faith in you in one way or another. So Lord, with that confidence in what you have done and how you have proven your word to be true once again, give us confidence in you and in your word and help us to trust in you and your power that you might continue your resurrection power even through us in this community, uh, among ourselves, and throughout the world. Amen.